Welcome to Badger Bigs, presented by the Varsity Collective, giving you inside access to some of the biggest figures in Wisconsin Badger athletics. Welcome to the Badger Bigs podcast presented by the Varsity Collective, the only podcast that highlights the joys of iconic Madison landmarks and brings you in-depth conversations with some of the biggest Badgers of today and generations past about life as a supersized athlete in their sports on campus and beyond. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, former Badger offensive lineman, Joe Thomas. And I'm Joe's co-host, former women's basketball player, Annie Thomas. And for this podcast, we're proud to be partnering with the Varsity Collective, an NIL collective led and backed by Wisconsin alumni, former Badger student-athletes like us, and Badger fans everywhere. The Varsity Collective's mission is to support current Badger student-athletes on the field, in the community, and in life. And if you want to learn more and help support Badger student-athletes, then visit thevarsitycollective.com and register for the newsletter. Today, we're excited to welcome a special Badger student athlete, Sarah Franklin, to the podcast. And later on in the show, we'll be joined by Badger legend, Frank Kaminsky. And now on the Badger Bigs podcast, we have the distinct pleasure of welcoming a 2021 first team all Big Ten selection, a 2022 AVCA all Northeast region award winner, a 2022 American Volleyball Coaches Association Division One third team all American, Sarah Franklin from the beloved Badger women's volleyball team. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Now, you have a pretty awesome route that brought you to Wisconsin. You grew up in a volleyball family in Florida. Your mom played at Virginia. Your sister now plays at Southern Illinois. I'm just wondering, was there some backyard volleyball games going on when you were growing up down in Florida? Oh, for sure. I mean, we were outside all the time. We started in soccer because that's just the normal Florida thing to do. And my mom pushed us into volleyball. So by the time I was 12, me and my little sister were all gung ho for volleyball. So we had a couple courts up in the backyard and, you know, we're just dinging around with it, playing a lot of club and school ball. So we just kind of started out young doing that stuff. And right when you started out, did you know this was going to be your sport? You were like, yes, this clicks. I, it feels good because you played varsity as an eighth grader. I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty incredible. You're a five-year letter winner in volleyball. So you knew right away this was going to be for you. I mean, I would say a 50-50 because as soon as I started, I knew that I loved the sport. I just didn't know how far it was going to be able to take me because, you know, my dad has always been a guy to kind of put you in reality real quick. So when I was like 13, I said, hey, like, I think I want to play like college volleyball. And he was like, honey, it's about like 1% that makes it that far. So you can do it. But, you know, just to keep you level headed right here. But yeah, I knew probably around eighth grade that I was like, this is what I'm going to do for a very, very long time. Now, you said you guys played as a family in the backyard. Was beach volleyball ever a part of your growing up? And because it's such a different sport, isn't it? It is a completely different sport. Your cardio level needs to be up there, like really, really (sighs) up there. But I played a couple tournaments, you know, when I was a lot younger, but I didn't enjoy it as much. It was the Florida heat is very brutal. So you got to be in tune to that. And the sand just is way too hot down there for my liking at least. So I did a couple tournaments and stuff, but nothing really sparked my interest. That makes us so happy that you're saying that because we play in the summers in a league and we are gassed after like (laughs) one. And so that makes that just validates us a little bit more. Thank you. (laughs) 
you know, it's interesting growing up in Florida, it's obviously very hot. And you mentioned the misery of going outside and playing a really, really demanding sport like sand volleyball. You decided, you said, no, 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 no more of this Florida business. I'm not going out West to play volleyball. You committed to Michigan State out of high school. And we see so much great volleyball in the Big Ten, in the Midwest. Why do you think that is? Because from somebody who didn't grow up a huge volleyball fan, you would think that the areas where you could go outside and play volleyball year-round would probably have the best college volleyball, but that's not exactly true. Yeah, I mean, I think that pertains to the beach as well because, you know, UCLA, USC, Florida State are all really big beach schools, but not as much for indoor. So I think just being in the Midwest where you can't be outside all the time, indoor is definitely more of a pull there. And volleyball has grown even from when I remember playing to now. Like it is insane at how many girls are playing and how much it's growing that in the Midwest, it's huge because you it's so easy to just, you know, throw your kids in there. And if they're good at it, they can do it for a really long time. You know, you have the fun convention center to experience in that. But I think with the right people and the right amount of fans that love to go and watch something that's really quick and it gets your attention really quick, which is what volleyball is like, you know, people enjoy to watch that. Plus it's indoors. It can be AC. Like you don't have to be outside either in the freezing cold or, you know, in the heat. So I I think that's why the Midwest definitely, definitely pulls for the volleyball aspect. And you have such big schools here in the Big Ten, you know. Now, speaking of the Big Ten, you did make the decision to transfer after your freshman year at Michigan State. Who did you lean on during that time in the transfer portal Were your teammates supportive of you or were they trying to talk you out of it? How did that go for you? Yeah. So I had had so many conversations with my parents and I was like, hey, like I see myself going really far with volleyball and I want to challenge myself more. You know, I'm not being as challenged as I want to be at Michigan State. So I talked to my parents about it and I decided to do that. And, you know, previously in making that decision, a lot of my, you know, teammates and people around me at Michigan State were like, hey, like, are you going to transfer? Because they could kind of tell that there was a sense of difference in my level of play there. So everyone was like, you should go somewhere bigger. Like you could do so much more in volleyball, like go, you know. So everyone was super supportive of me doing that. And I'm still super close with all of the girls that I've played with there, you know, because I think there were 10 girls that transferred out at the time that I had transferred out as well. So it was just a time for change. I had so many people supporting me in making this decision. At Michigan State, you were the sole offensive threat for the Spartans. Everything ran through you. And then when you decided to transfer, you came to Wisconsin that had a lot of talent. They had a lot of players that could hit the hit. almost said football. They could hit the volleyball. (laughs) They were really good on offense. How was that transition like for you? And what was that experience like all of a sudden feeling like you were competing maybe for balls and opportunities at the net? Yeah, you know, I have come to the understanding that volleyball is very much a team sport. You cannot do it by yourself. And I experienced that, you know, at Michigan State where it's like, you can't do it by yourself. You will be exhausted, which I was like, I wanted to go somewhere where I could rely on my teammates, where I could, you know, have a whole bunch of people that can hit the ball as hard as possible and like, you know, make that statement. So in coming to Wisconsin, that was my goal. I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to have people that were, you know, just as good as me or even better. Like that was like my goal so that I could be challenged because I want to play volleyball for a long time after play pro, you know, maybe a national team. Like those are my goals. So I understood that in order to achieve those, I need to be very focused on getting challenged. Yeah. And having those other great players around you, how has that helped elevate your own personal game? 
oh, so much. You know, we're always in the gym. Like every day someone's in there doing something and having someone right on your tail or having someone right there with you is the best feeling because you're like, I want to get better. You want to get better. Let's see how far we can go. You know, it's kind of a eye to eye kind of thing where we're really focused. You know, all of us are super close. That was another reason. Like the culture here is amazing. Like we're super close. So I think, you know, all of us have the understanding that on the court, it's business. And, you know, we all work towards that. And off the court, it's like, all right, like we're best friends, you know. You were actually a member of the 2022 USA Volleyball Collegiate National Team. Now, what was that like for you? Were you playing with all the girls that you had never met before? What was that experience like? Yeah, so it was a mix. I mean, I knew a lot of the girls from previous years of USA stuff because you just grow up doing that if you're, you know, in the top percent. So I knew a good amount and I was able to meet even more girls that I play against in the Big Ten. So it's kind of fun to like make that connection and not just be like, you know, enemies like across the net. I used to go play in the Pro Bowl in Hawaii in the NFL, and it was fun riding the bus to and from practice because you'd sit next to the other guys that you ended up playing against during the season, and you had a chance to you know talk about families or whatever else. But inevitably, it always came to conversations with the guys that were going to be free agents about, hey, you should come play with me in yep. Cleveland, or you should come play. You know, Of course, Peyton Manning was there. Oh, you should come play with me in the Colts. I could use an extra pass rusher. I could use an extra target to throw to. So when you're playing in those mixed teams that have girls from all over the country, different colleges, is there any recruiting pitches that are going on, especially (laughs) now in the era with the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness? Oh, for sure. I mean, everyone knows who the good people are. And as soon as you get in that portal, it's like everyone's after you. So whoever's there, that's not taken, which is (laughs) kind of slim, especially over the summertime, just because, you know, season's coming up. So you obviously chose to be a Badger, transferring from Michigan State. What's your sales pitch like to those other girls when you're on the bus riding to the volleyball arena? Yeah, I mean, I (laughs) my sales pitch is mainly like the culture of the team and the work ethic. Like those are the two things that I knew I really wanted. And those are the people that Kelly recruits here. People who are going to be great for the culture and who are going to work their butts off. They described it as, you know, a blue collar working team. That's what we do. And so that's the main pitch. Because if you're not going to come here to do that, then, you know, it's just not going to be a good fit. So that's the main pitch that I kind of sell. And now does playing in the Fieldhouse help at all with your recruiting pitches? Were you able to play at the Fieldhouse at your freshman year at Michigan State? Yeah. So it was my technically sophomore year after the COVID year. Okay. We came here and played and it was my favorite, my favorite venue out of all of the venues that I had, I'd been to. It was the one game that I turned to my libero because we were about to take a set from Wisconsin. Like Little Michigan State was about to take a set and I was like, I'm having so much fun. Like even though it was close, like the Wisconsin fans were just like ecstatic. And I was like, this is awesome. So it's interesting you say that, like the emotion that you can get from the crowd, especially sometimes in sports when you're maybe not used to it quite as much. I was also on the track team at Wisconsin for a couple of years. And I I laugh because obviously I was not running anywhere uh, except for the hot dog stand. Um, but I was a thrower and I remember competing in some of the bigger meets when all of a sudden the fans are there and they're clapping in unison for the jumpers and you hear people cheering in the 1500 and there's a different energy that you get that you're not used to when you play in those environments. 
but it also works for the opponent. And when we used to have in football, other teams come to Camp Randall and they'd hear jump around, you'd see that sideline going bananas and I'd be on the field and I was getting excited, but I'd seen it a few times. And then you look to their D line and there's like snot bubbles coming out of their mouth because they're so excited and they're so pumped up because the experience and the crowd and the tradition and the emotion is so high. Is that something that you guys face in the field house where you're playing against people that have dreamed of playing there for maybe their entire life and that atmosphere is so big that they're actually more focused and more energized than they normally would be? Yeah, I completely agree because even when I was at Michigan State and I was here, I was like, this is awesome. You know, I've always watched games here and I'm like to be here and experience it. I'm like fired up because we went, <laughs> I think the score ended up being like 36 to like 34 to take mm. the third set or something. Wow. So I was like, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of atmosphere this season, you guys actually played to a sellout crowd at the Cole Center. It's like 16,800 something to be exact. The NCAA regular season record for attendance. Now, what was that energy like compared to your normal sellout crowds at the field house? Because, I mean, you guys are used to playing in front of a big crowd, but what was that venue change like for you guys? Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. Before committing to Wisconsin, I had had only a couple games that were big crowds. And so getting to play with that many fans, the atmosphere was amazing. And by the time that we got to the fifth set, you can almost not, like you couldn't hear yourself think because there were so many people just screaming and throwing towels and, and all this stuff. So it was, it was an awesome experience. We heard the sales pitch that you give to some of the other girls on the national team when you're with them about why you should come to Wisconsin. But how much of a role does Kelly Sheffield play in the reason that girls decide to come to Wisconsin? Because from the moment he got here, he's had great success and he's been able to consistently have that success year in and year out. And for a sport that really is blowing up recently, but you know, 20, 30 years ago, it really wasn't the spectator sport it is now. I think a lot of people that watch and appreciate the game don't really know what makes a great volleyball coach. Can you maybe explain a little bit to us, Layman, about what makes Kelly Sheffield such a great volleyball coach? Yeah, I could go on about this for a while, but to put it simply, in my opinion, he's a very methodical coach. He has a way of doing things. He asks the right questions and it's not a emotional type of coaching, which I've had that in the past, but it's a process to where, you know, you get better in, in this sense. You have to be able to learn. You have to lean into learning. And so I think he does a great job of of telling the girls what he's going to do. He's going to be straight up with you. He's going to tell you what is going to work. So if you're not on that level and you're not willing to, you know, be critiqued, then it's not going to be the perfect fit. But you want to be able to push yourself to take that criticism and to learn from it. So he's very good about, you know, being super open and honest. And I just think he's got it down. He's got it down to a science. Now, you've been here on campus for a full year, something we do here on the Badger Bigs podcast to talk about our favorite spots on campus. Now, besides the field house and at practice, where is your favorite spot to go on campus? Oh, gosh, it's definitely in the summer. In the winter, I'm not out and about as much, but for sure the terrace. The terrace is gorgeous. I love that we have the two lakes and we have some, you know, sense of of summer. Once it thaws out, you can go in the water and do all that stuff. So, you know, the terrace and the union are really fun because it's just there's so many people there and there's so many things to do that you can just kind of like enjoy it. Like you don't have to be doing anything. I like the people watch so I can just kind of like sit around and like observe others. But that's definitely, it's gorgeous. I just love it during the summer. 
Yeah, people watching down there is a must, especially when there's a open mic night. That's the best people watching oh, yeah. ever. Oh yeah. I was just gonna say. <laughs> yes. I love the terrace for so many reasons, but Sarah Franklin, all American Badger volleyballer, thank you so much for being on the Badger Biggest Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Thanks, Sarah. I'm super excited to have Frank Kaminsky on our show today because he's one of the legends in the Badger basketball program. He's a guy that you and I cheered for a ton during my NFL career, and they really will become one of the most beloved Badger teams of all time, regardless of sport, because of the relationships that they had with each other. And I think the memories and the personality that we as fans got to see of those guys for the first time probably ever because it was just the beginning of that social media era where we were starting to see what these guys were like off the court, what these guys were like in the locker room at their apartments in Madison. So for you, what is that memory like when you think about that 2014-2015 basketball team led by National Player of the Year, Frank Kaminsky? Yeah, you're right. It was the first time that we actually were getting glimpses into locker rooms and the antics going on with other teams. And I think for me, I had been in that locker room before. I had been in the women's basketball locker room and had that same group of goofiness in the girls that I played with. So it was just kind of fun to see that mirrored in them. And also, too, they they were playing at an insanely high level. And so I think it was nice for us to see as athletes that you could be successful and also, you know, have that cool, calm you know, goofy feeling off the court. And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember the date because I was pregnant with our second Cameron, but it was March 29th, 2014. We were in New York City for my 30th birthday and our dear friends had booked us for a live interactive play in New York. And unfortunately, it was at the exact same time the Badgers were playing against number one seeded Arizona. The play was horrific and it was the weirdest thing we've ever been involved with. But I don't know if you remember getting into that cab and we were driving through the streets of New York, trying desperately to find a place that had the Badger game on. And we pulled up to a stoplight and there through a window in a tiny little Greek restaurant was Frank Kaminsky's <laughs> giant face. He, he was at the free throw line and we were like, stop, stop the cab. And we got out and just inundated this poor little empty Greek family owned restaurant. And we sat there for the rest of the game over time. And when they won, we were just screaming, crying. It was so much fun. But anytime I think of Frank, I think of that street in New York where we just randomly saw his face on the TV and had to pull over and watch. But yeah, that team was just so much fun. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. You wanted a little piece of it. And I think getting to watch them through the social media side of things kind of gave everybody that taste of it. Yeah, I have some different memories from our time in New York City because I actually like weird stuff. And do you remember the name of that play? Yeah, it was Sleep No More. Sleep No More. And it was based on like a Shakespeare play where it was really weird. I'm not a thespian. I know that's probably a big surprise to all the fans of Badger Biggs out there. But I didn't really follow along during the play how this is related to Shakespeare. But I definitely knew it was weird. And it was definitely freaky. It was definitely weird. It was definitely new. But I loved it. You hated it. And the one thing we did agree on was, though, as we're driving down that street, you see that big face, Frank Kaminsky. We had to pull over. We had to watch the rest of it. And I feel like that was the pull from all of Badger Nation. Obviously, if the Badger basketball team is doing well, Badger fans are going to be watching. But the emotional connection that I think all of Wisconsin had to those guys because we felt we knew them so well was must see TV with everything that they did. But my 
biggest memory, and it was not a good memory, but my biggest memory from the Frank Kaminsky era with the Badgers is when you and I went to Indianapolis for the national championship game. And in the first half, they're playing Duke and they're up by 10 points. And you believe in jinxes, which don't exist. No, no, no. You lost it for them. Okay. So I, I, don't, know if we should, I wife, don't know if we should actually say this out loud, but you were the reason why we lost the national championship. I'm glad we're having this conversation before we go on with Frank, because according to Annie, I was the reason that they lost the national championship game. We're up by like 10. And I turned to her and I go, oh, there's no way we're losing this game. And you look at me. And I remember your face. You were so pissed. And I, I think you're still crying. mad at me right now, now that I brought I that up, because they ended up losing it. And, you know, I guess if you believe in jinxes, you can come and write me some nasty letters and let me know why. I am the one that kept Wisconsin from winning a national basketball championship. When you turned to me and you said, we're really going to do it. We're really going to win this game. I, I just, I was like, why, why would you, why would you do that? Why would you do that to everybody? You just, you just did that to everybody. You just ruined this. Yeah, I was I, I was very upset. I, I, I still have not forgiven you, and I, I feel like we should stop talking about it because it's making me upset still today. And now we have the privilege of being joined by former Wisconsin Badger Men's National College Player of the Year, top 10 NBA draft pick Frank Kaminsky. Don't forget, if you want to get involved, you can learn more at thevarsitycollective.com. Frank, thank you so much for being on Badger Bigs. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And thank you for the kind introduction. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I am from Illinois, but everyone just assumes I'm from Wisconsin now. So I just kind of claim that as well. Yeah. Being a Badger, it's probably good to just claim Wisconsin because, you know, yeah. there's that little rivalry. There's that little jealousy, just a touch, you know, being Wisconsin and feeling like the little brother to Illinois sometimes. So I didn't know how much people hated Illinois people's driving in Wisconsin until I got to <laughs> campus. And, I, and then it just kind of clicked and made sense. So now going back home to Illinois, do you hate Illinois drivers like as if you were a native son or is it vice versa? No, no. I don't feel comfortable unless everyone's like driving as fast as they possibly can because that's how I learned. <laughs> so that's like that's it's like second nature at this point. I love it. Now, you grew up in Woodridge, Illinois. And when you were five years old, your aunt and uncle worked for the Chicago Bulls and you had some access to the practice facility when Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman were around. Do you have any memories from those times or any fun stories that you can share with us about growing up around there? We actually used to do like family birthday parties and stuff like that at the Bulls practice facility when I was oh a kid. Gosh. So my Aunt Karen <laughs> was awesome. both my aunt and uncle. If you watch The Last Dance, they were both in it. No way. My Aunt Karen, she was vice president of basketball administration, I think it was. And Jerry Krause was the one who created that position for her. She started out in the ticket office for the Bulls and worked all the way up to the front office and was there for a long time and actually became an assistant coach. I think that was three years ago now. And now she's at Northwestern doing basketball ops. So, you know, my whole life, I kind of had access to the Bulls and the Bulls practice facility and stuff. I mean, even when I was in high school, we used to take our high school team once a year and have a practice at their practice facility. Yeah, it was just really cool. I always dreamed of being in the NBA. The Bulls were my favorite team growing up. And obviously, you know, my earliest memories of the NBA are the Bulls winning championships. So and then when I got drafted in Charlotte, I played for Michael Jordan, which kind of like brought it all full circle for me because I grew up idolizing him. So it's just it's very cool how that all worked out. Now, having a stronghold in Illinois and your whole family, your mom played at Northwestern volleyball. How did you get drawn away? How did Wisconsin win you over? Was Northwestern even on your list? Did you want to please mom and follow in her footsteps? 
So yeah, you know, my mom, my aunt, and my uncle all played at Northwestern at the same time. So my uncle Jim is in the Basketball Hall of Fame there. I grew up 30 minutes outside of Northwestern. Northwestern and Wisconsin were like the two teams in the Big Ten that were recruiting me, and I always wanted to play in the Big Ten. You know, I went on a visit to both, and I was just blown away by my Wisconsin visit. The visit I had to Northwestern wasn't that great. Even my mom was like, that was a little bit awkward. She was like, it's just, <laughs> it's just not you. And I think Wisconsin hmm. just felt like me. It came down to, at the end of the day, like Wisconsin at the time had so much success getting to the tournament and being like, you know, top four in the Big Ten every single year. You know, guys kind of come in as low recruits and get turned into good players. And that was something I was looking for because I knew I grew late and I grew into my body late. So I needed time to develop. And I knew that going into college, I felt like Wisconsin was just a place for me. Now, talking about coming in freshman year, we talked to Butch in an earlier podcast, and he kind of said the same thing where he came in and he was a little bit undersized for the Big Ten. How does Wisconsin develop you guys, you big time, huge post players, and you guys come in a little bit undersized, a little skinny? What do you feel like is the key there at Wisconsin? So I came in, I was like 6'10 and weighed like 195 pounds my freshman year. Like I grew pretty late. You know, it was hard for me to put weight on. We always had weightlifting in high school, but I was never really into it. It's not like I had a strength coach in high school and like kids now like find their trainers when they're like five years old and start lifting weights and doing speed training. Like I had, I had none of that back then. Like I just played basketball. That's all I did. So when I got to Wisconsin, I knew it was going to take some time. So you know, at the time, the strength coach just kind of sat me down. I was like, you got a long road ahead of you. You're really going to have to focus on all of this. Like, we're going to have to, you know, put weight on. You're going to have to focus on your nutrition. And all of it was like mental overload for me, like in the beginning. Like, I was honestly put on weight too fast. So I had to like backtrack a little bit. But that's just how it is. You know, Wisconsin had a good system of developing, you know, kind of skinnier guys. But they recruited the guys that were like more skilled. So I felt like I was a more skilled guy coming in. I wasn't like a brute force, like strong guy and Butch Butch being the same way, John Lore being the same way, just coming in and knew we had to develop our bodies and that was going to take a little bit of time. And then, you know, my junior year when it was really my time to play and become like the starter and the guy playing all the minutes, I just felt comfortable. I felt like I was strong. I felt like I was physically able to compete against everybody else in the Big Ten. You were saying that you put on the weight in the training table with nutrition and in the weight room. And Jay Wando keeps telling me, because I just ran into him today, that you were putting on that weight Tuesday nights with beer and free bacon nights. So yep. I'm starting to see that maybe also there's a, a couple different to stories to the Frank Kaminsky weight gain when he overshot the landing a little bit. But I think it's pretty interesting, obviously, with all those players that you mentioned that were Badger big guys that were very highly skilled, not just being inside players, but outside players. Do you think it's something that Wisconsin basketball has done traditionally that have really developed big guys as outside threats? Or do you think that they've just kind of recruited those type of players out of college and then realized that they could kind of develop their bodies a little bit like you were talking about? I think they definitely have a template for finding certain guys that fit into their system. You know, Wisconsin's always been a very systematic school. They run the swing offense, which is kind of like five guys out on the perimeter, guys who need to be able to shoot, drive, pass, kind of do everything on offense. You know, other schools are different. They play other you know, schools that play like up-tempo style, like literally just roll the ball out and run and try to like outplay everyone with speed and strength. And Wisconsin's not like that. You know, it's more high IQ guys who can fit into a system. So yeah, they definitely recruited me to be that way. A lot of people don't know this, but you know, in high school, 
I ended up playing point guard for like a majority of my senior year at like six <laughs> ten. That's terrifying. Our point guard oh on our God. team got hurt, and you know we didn't have other like ball handlers on my high school team. You know my high school coach just told me, "Hey, you're going to bring the ball up the floor and you're going to play point guard." So and honestly, for me, it goes all the way back to like my AAU development. Like we used to play in leagues in my in my town, and we used to just dominate other teams playing up. Like we'd be like fourth graders playing against sixth graders and just like dominating these leagues. So what our dads and like our coaches did is they focused on like skill development. If that's weird, like my dad was a basketball coach for a long time. Like they made us play in this league where we played like two nights a week where we would rotate who would play point guard and you play the whole game at point guard, but you were only allowed to dribble with your opposite hand. So if you're right-handed, you had to <laughs> dribble with your left hand the whole time. So they just did stuff like that to where we just had to develop and learn how to play basketball, not just like fit into a mold and a position. I'm sure in you know, football, I'm assuming you knew you're going to be an offensive lineman for a long time. But like in basketball, like the way it's played now, like you have to be able to play multiple positions and be comfortable doing a lot of different stuff. So the development for me, I just became a basketball player who started playing center, not like just a center who had to figure out the other parts of the game. I know that Annie's coaching our kids. She's our daughter who's in fourth grade's basketball coach. And um, hope you're writing some notes there because she's going to be tall, oh, yeah. obviously, being that mom and dad are pretty tall. <laughs> yeah. And we're trying to develop some of the skills from the outside because, you know, if she ends up being really tall, I hate to say it, but like the big guy skills are a lot easier to acquire over time than yeah. it is to learn how to dribble the ball, how to pass the ball and how to be effective shooting from the outside. So I'm just curious, like, once you got onto campus, what were some of the things that were the biggest differences from how you played your game when you were in high school, kind of playing all those positions and point guard, and then playing in a little bit more of a specific position within the Wisconsin basketball team? The biggest thing for me was I had to learn the toughness. Hmm. I was more of like a finesse guy my whole life. You no, know, it's kind of like the knock on me and my recruiting was I wasn't like physically strong. They kept saying I don't impose my will on the game and stuff like that. <laughs> So that was something that, you know, Bo especially tried to get out of me my first couple of years was just me being, you know, tougher. You know, he was hard on me. You know, mental toughness is, you know, honestly, just as important as physical toughness. So, he, you know, he was tough on me, tried to get the most out of me. And I think that was the biggest thing in high school. I got away with not having to be that strong and being that tough because it was easy. I was just bigger than everyone. But then you get to college and you're not bigger than everyone anymore. So you just have to learn how to become tough, both mentally and physically to compete against. Honestly, you know, there were some guys my freshman year in college, I would go into games and I would be intimidated big time by like other people, just like how strong and how big they were, you know, and mentally I would check myself out. And, and you know, that's why I didn't play a whole lot my first couple of years, because, no, I just wasn't physically and mentally able to compete against them. And I think that was the biggest difference. High school was pretty easy for me just because I could you know, catch the ball wherever I want and just turn around and shoot over people. And in college, I had to figure that part out. In your junior year, you really started coming into your own. You averaged almost 14 points per game that season. And you talked about Bo Ryan being a big influence on how he toughened you up as a center, as a big man. And that wasn't something that you didn't have when you came into college. What do you think he did and how, what were his, his methods of trying to kind of get that toughness out of you so it was revealed so you could go out on the court and compete and bang under the boards in the Big Ten, which is one of the more physical conferences in college basketball? Yeah, you know, Bo was very old school. We'll say that, you know, he expected a lot out of his centers. They're kind of the last line of defense, the guy that's supposed to be the big, strong rebounder, block shots, push people around, you know, set ball screens, you know, kind of play a physical way. 
And he set his expectations for us from day one, you know, what he wanted out of us. And he kind of held you to his standard, no matter how much you disliked it, no matter how much you didn't like him or didn't feel, you could feel a certain way about him. But, you know, I'm from outside of Chicago. You know, I grew up with people who, you know, in basketball and sports are not afraid to get in your face, yell at you, you know, have some tough love out on the court because it's all about winning. So, you know, I appreciated that. I loved it. You know, when he would yell at me, you know, I didn't take it to heart. I was like, okay, he wants me to get better. It's not like personal. And I think today in sports, some people take everything way too personal. So I'm just not like that. And, you know, that was kind of his method. It was like, I'm trying to get the most out of you to help us be the best we can be. And his style was his style. You know, if he needed to get in your face, he got in your face. If he needed to tell you to do something better, he wasn't going to shy away from it. If he needed to single you out, he singled you out. If you weren't doing what you needed to do, he was going to tell you about it. So, you know, I always appreciated that about him because, you know, when it comes to sports, it's about winning. It's about wins and losses. And for my career, that's why I'm kind of remembered at Wisconsin is because we won at a big level and we competed against the best teams in the country at every step of the way. And not only were you guys winning, but you guys were also so fun to watch on and off the court, the 2014-2015 teams. What made you guys so dynamic? Obviously, like the Frank the Tank yeah. nickname <laughs> came about and all that. You guys were just so dynamic, so funny. What was it about that group of guys? I feel like I get asked this question a lot and I just come up with, you know, we just were who we were. Like there wasn't anything on the court, it was like we flipped this switch and turned into like the most serious team of all time. And the second like the seriousness was done, we turned into like fifth graders who would just like, yeah. like out at recess, just, you know, we used to do things. We used to go do like soccer golf. We used to like go hang out at everyone's apartments. You know, my junior year, most of the guys moved into the same apartment building so we could all be on the same floor because we were all just doing stuff. Like me and Ben Brust one day literally played video games in my apartment for like 13 straight hours on an off day. <laughs> it felt like we were just little kids Ooh. who like actually legitimately enjoyed each other's company and wanted to hang out with each other. And I think that's what really translated onto the floor. Because when we were out there, it's like we all trusted each other. If we got mad at each other, everyone knew it wasn't personal. It wasn't you know, serious. It was all about just trying to do the most. And when you have that great relationship with someone off the floor it's going to translate to the floor. And I've always seen that throughout my career, even as I go forward, like the guys you're really close with away from basketball, it always translates into a good relationship on the floor. Uh, Frank, you've talked a lot about how goofy the group of Badgers were that you played with. And that's a big contrast to your coach, right? You mentioned that Bo Ryan was a little bit old school. He was a little bit grizzled, a little bit more serious. And a lot of times that can cause friction between the coach and the players. But you guys seemed to find a way to mesh when you got onto the court and you found a way that maybe your differences even brought you guys together. So how did Bo receive all the goofiness that you guys brought to the basketball court? Early in my career, it was everyone had to look the same at every practice. Like guys weren't allowed to wear tights. We weren't allowed to wear arm sleeves. Like if you had an arm sleeve, everyone had to wear an arm sleeve. It was almost like a military style of running our team. And then when the group of guys, just all of us came in, like me, Sam, Josh, Ben, Duye, Trey, just all of us, we just, we're like just whatever. I'm a goofy human being. That's just who I am at heart. Like I, off the court, I don't take things too serious. So we all started just like kind of changing. Like we would show up and wear arm sleeves and tights 
in headbands and wearing like sweatpants and stuff. He fought it at first, but when he realized like that was translating to like our success on the floor, he also started to like embrace it himself. Our last year, all the media and all the opportunities we had outside of basketball that he was involved in, he was like a totally different person. Like it was almost like shocking to see. Like, and a lot of that had to do with Nigel Hayes coming in because Nigel just like, he called him pops, like goofed around with him all the time. And Bo just kind of like embraced who we were. And old guys that used to come back used to literally be like, who is is this guy? Yeah, like what is going on? So it was just fun. Away from the court, it wasn't all basketball all the time. It was just, you know, we're in a position and this might be the best points of our lives. So why not just enjoy it and have as much fun as possible? You should have seen our old like media sessions at the school because it's the same guys. It's the same like beat reporters and everything. Oh, yeah. We used to go in and just be like, what are we going to do today? Like, what are we going to make up? Like we would like make up (laughs) stories and make up things like our press conference before going to the NCAA tournament my senior year. We talked about playing Super Smash Bros on N64 mm-hmm. and had arguments about who was the best player and the tiers of players the entire media conference before we left. We didn't talk about, we barely talked about basketball. And that was just us. That was just what we were doing, just having fun. And I bet the beat writers, I bet they loved it. I mean, it's so refreshing. That's why I think everyone really enjoyed watching you guys. It's so refreshing to see success at a level that you guys were having, but then also the fun that you guys were having. It does basketball doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to be yeah. so intense. Like I think that's why everyone really liked watching you guys play. Yeah, and and when we were at those big like tournaments and media events, all the people would come up to us and be like, "Thank you so much. Like you guys yeah. are just having so much fun." Like we go to other <laughs> schools and they treat us like we're terrible people and they don't want to answer our questions, and then they got us up there that are Nigel's <laughs> messing with the sonographer, <laughs> making up words. Sam and I are just sitting there I laughing, about like that one, yeah. not making any sense with our answers. We'd had inside jokes and we just say them all press conference. We do things like we go to one of those media stands and only let Sam. That was like our thing. How many times could we get Sam to answer the question so that we don't have to? So we'd sit there, they'd ask an open-ended question. We all look and just be like, Sam, you got this one? Mm-hmm. And everyone would sit in there and just laugh and have a good time. It was like, I feel like we were the breath of fresh air for a lot of people. You guys clearly like to mess with people. You already said you like to mess with Bo with your attire at practice. But did you guys ever do any pranks on each other or on the coaching staff? Because I feel like when you have a serious coach like that, that's the best target for some good pranks. We didn't really ever get him. We used to imitate him all the time. (laughs) For some reason, he had like a thing of just mispronouncing everyone's names. Washington, he would say Washington. For some reason, he'd throw like extra letters and words and stuff. So we would sit there and just imitate him. We never really like pulled a full blown prank on him because I don't think that would have been well received. But we were definitely we were definitely pranking each other and stuff all the time. Ben Brust used to hide in corners and jump out at me all the time. My initial reaction was like throw a punch every single time. So he used to try to do that to Mm -hmm. me all the time and I hated it. Did you ever land any punches? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) He was too dodgy, Uh huh? Yeah. He'd do it and run away. One of the things that we love talking about with especially the former Badgers is kind of getting nostalgic a little bit and talking about some of your favorite spots around campus. Is there one spot that like when you close your eyes and you think back to Madison and your time there that pops in your mind first when you're thinking of, all right, this is quintessential Madison. This is what I think of when I close my eyes. You know, what I always go back to is, you know, honestly, the apartments I lived in, you know, like I told you, we all live close to each other. That was really where we spent like the majority of our time, obviously around campus, going to the terrace in the summers when we had to be on campus for the summer sessions. 
We used to do that a lot. And that was always great. Go and have a few spotted cows sitting at the terrace in the summer. Like it was amazing. It was so much fun. Just honestly sitting there and just doing nothing and just being with your friends. You know, honestly, for me, I was pretty much done with school early because of those summer sessions. So my whole last year, I just got to enjoy myself. I didn't have to take a ton of credits in class. And I was just really playing basketball and having fun with my friends. And a lot of that was you know, just hanging out in our apartments, you know, playing video games, you know, having 10 of us in there just literally doing nothing but just being idiots. And I knew that at the time, like, this is the end. This is my last year. There's no coming back. This will be the last time, you know, I get to do this in my life. So why not just make the most of it and spend it with the people that I was enjoying so much at the time? As a seven footer, obviously you're Pretty recognizable. I mean, you ended yeah. up becoming the national player of the year. Pretty big deal. And it's not like you can blend in around campus, but did you give an opportunity to go to any football games or any of the other sporting events when you were on campus? Or was it just too hard because you just get hassled too much? Of course, I went to everything. I went to every football That's game. Awesome. I went to all the volleyball games. I was dating a girl on the volleyball team at the time in college. You know, being one of my teammates were, so we went to all the volleyball games. I didn't really try to hide. You know, when I was on campus, you know, I was just comfortable. I was just enjoying it. Obviously, there was times where it was extremely overwhelming. Sometimes in classes, you know, when you're in big lecture halls, you know, I didn't like the attention. So I kind of just sat in the back and just kind of minded myself. But you know, other than that, like I'm sure Wando told you, I didn't shy away from going to Wando's at all. Um, <laughs> just went in there and just I was just myself. I was enjoying my time. You know, I kind of kept to myself while I was out at these things, but I didn't let anything stop me from going out and, you know, just enjoying my time on campus. Obviously, right now, college sports is a much different landscape than when we played. Yeah. No NIL when we played, but also no TikTok. Oh, yeah. And I'm just curious, like, do you ever reflect back on your time at Wisconsin and say, man, imagine what we could have done if there was a TikTok and B NIL when we were playing, when I was taking this team to the national championship game, because like you mentioned, like you guys were the biggest thing in the entire state and everybody loved the personality and the way that you guys showed that affection for each other. And then obviously the performance on the court, you guys could have made bank and you would have been yeah. humongous stars on TikTok if it was around back then. You know, I'm happy for all the kids now. You know, they're obviously cashing in, they're making good money and stuff like that. But I think a big part for me, you know, is looking back on like all the memories where I didn't have all of that stuff. You know, we didn't have the social media, so we weren't trying to like create videos and create content and find deals with people and caring about ourselves more so in like how much money we were making over, you know, just enjoying each other and doing the things that we did together just honestly for the joy of being together. Like we didn't get paid to do things. So, you know, it's amazing that the kids now and the climate is different and they're able to cash in on their name and likeness And you know, cause you know, a lot of guys, you know, their name doesn't get bigger than who they are when they're on campus. So I'm happy they get to cash in and everything like that. But, you know, I don't enjoy necessarily the social media climate of today's day and age. So I do look back and have some sentimental value about just all the memories we created away from that. For me, I just would have wanted like a car just to have on campus, just so I didn't have <laughs> I to just like. I don't want to drive my moped. I don't want to drive my winter. moped wearing goggles, two hats, a hood, and a big winter coat, and having to like put my feet on the Ski ground poles. to make sure I, to make sure I don't slip on ice. Like that's all I would have asked for was a car. 
Well, you certainly have the means now to buy a car, at least. Uh, (laughs) You were the ninth overall pick by the Charlotte Hornets in 2015. You're still playing. What was it like being drafted in the first round, being a top 10 pick, and finally getting that opportunity to achieve that dream of playing pro basketball? It was amazing. You know, something I told you in the beginning, I always dreamed about as a little kid, you know, playing in the NBA. I used to go to the, the practice facility and you know, reenact the things I saw on the floor. I was always a huge NBA fan, just a big basketball guy. And I always just wanted to be a part of that. You know, I never had aspirations to, you know, while I was in college to leave early. My end goal was not to get to the NBA, but you know, when you win and you win at a high level, everything just kind of takes care of itself. And I've always kind of tried to keep that with me. You know, I've always just wanted to be a winner. You know, I was reflecting back I turned like our high school program like I'm kind of watching now our high school program is in the final four of the state tournament Illinois and that my class was kind of the one that turned it around and turned us into like a basketball school in Illinois you know we ended up being the number one team in state you know you get to college you know Wisconsin had been to one final four before I got there and we went to two in a row you know in the NBA now you know I was fortunate enough to play in the NBA finals so that's just kind of how I've always judged is just win and everything takes care of itself you know but being in the NBA is a realization of like a dream and all the hard work and everything I've put in you know my basketball career and I never expected to be the ninth overall pick in the draft even that was kind of shocking to me at the time I went from you know not playing at Wisconsin for two years to kind of like thrust into this like kind of meteoric rise, you know, my junior year, I kind of turned on my senior year. I was the best player in the country and then getting drafted in the top 10. It was just, it's amazing. And I'm still playing, you know, eight years later. So, you know, it's been an amazing career. Now, before we have to let you go, just one more thing with, about your Badger career and kind of bringing it all together. The Badgers retired at number 44. What was that ceremony like for you? And was that something when they approached you about it, were you just in awe? And what was that feeling like for your family? You know, Barry called me, you know, I didn't have the phone number saved or anything. He just kind of called me out of the blue one day and was like, hey. Mm, you weren't you like know. text buddies? No, I was in, no, I was not text buddies with Barry. <laughs> I was in Denver, I think. And I got a phone call and I just answered it randomly. He goes, hey, it's Barry Alvarez. <laughs> I was like, hey, hey how's sure, it going? Sure, Ben Rust, sure, absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, we're thinking about, you know, retiring your jersey. Is it something you'd be open to? I was like, well, <laughs> Of course. Absolutely not. <laughs> of course. And it was just, you know, when I called my dad, you know, my dad's kind of been the one that's been close with me my whole basketball career. You know, he was my coach when I was a kid, kind of on this whole journey with me. And my dad played overseas for a long time. I called him and he just like got pretty emotional. And it was just something that was very cool to be able to have, you know, my whole family, you know, my grandma included. You know, all my teammates, all my friends, all the people I played with, all the people who were like important to me on campus just to come back and kind of celebrate. You know, I always viewed it as a thing of not necessarily of me and like my success, but like our team as a whole and everything that like we stood for. That's kind of how I view it more so than anything else. It's amazing to have my number retired by the school and everything like that. But, you know, my number sits in the rafters, but it's kind of like a representation of what all of us accomplished like I was there because I've said this a million times that I've said it before. Like I wouldn't have been who I was without the people I had on campus with me. It was like a perfect storm of like all the personalities and players and friends and coaches and friends off the court that kind of made me who I am because I'm a people person. Like I'm kind of a reflection of like who I'm around. 
and they were such great people and they knew how to get the most out of me and they kind of pushed me into this position to where I'm at now. You know, I wouldn't have been player of the year without the people that I had on our team, you know, supporting me, pushing me, trying to get the most out of me every single day. So that's how I view that whole jersey retirement, my number hanging in the rafters. Almost, what, seven plus years since you've played at Wisconsin. You were super close with all those guys you played at. What's your relationship with all of your teammates today? You know, it's still good. I still talk to a lot of the guys all the time. You know, we check in with each other. We keep tabs on each other's lives, you know, try to see each other as much as we can. You know, the last few years being kind of as crazy as they've been, it's been harder and harder to get back to campus. I'm hoping we can definitely do something this year to get us all back there. But, you know, I check in, keep up with a lot of the guys. I work out with some of the guys in the summer who are still playing overseas, you know, each other's weddings, you know, kids being born, which is still I haven't wrapped my mind around that stuff. Um, (laughs) It's just You know, we were so close and tight knit. We'll have those relationships and those bonds forever. And, you know, those are relationships I plan on keeping for the rest of my life. So I'm sure you've had some interactions with some of the guys, just great guys, just good people to be around. Never too much. Just enjoy each other. Frank, thanks for being on with us. Last question I have for you. I'm just curious, like bringing it full circle, being a kid that had a chance to hang around the Bulls when they were the top of the world in the basketball community and really one of the most beloved teams of all time. And then now your owner, when you were drafted in Charlotte is Michael Jordan. I know owners, they like to hang around sometimes and some of them, they just like to stay out of the way. Did you ever have any interactions with Michael and did you ever give him an opportunity to talk about some of the stories that you remember when you were a kid and he was playing for the bulls? Of course, you know, Michael was around a lot in Charlotte, especially in my first couple of years there. You know, he kind of oversaw everything. You know, his brother was in the front office. You know, Buzz Peterson, his college roommate that he played with at North Carolina, was um, one of the general managers. So, you know, he had a lot. He's obviously very big in Charlotte. You know, it's kind of like the Jordan team of the NBA. You know, very cool. I did get an opportunity to talk with him about a lot of different stuff. You know, he was always so great with me, knew I was a Chicago kid, knew I grew up idolizing the Bulls. And actually my first story with Jordan when I got drafted was, you know, I normally don't answer phone calls from numbers I don't have saved. Like I'll let it go to voicemail, they'll leave a voicemail. And one day I just kept getting this call from this Florida phone number over and over and over again. And I was working out at my high school gym at the time with one of my basketball trainers. And I finally just answered it and I was like, hello? And he was like, what's up, this is MJ. I was like, I just, I'm so sorry. I just denied your call sorry, like three, three or four times in a row. Sorry, sir. Sorry, um, sir. He's like, not a big deal. Just checking in, seeing when I was coming, when I was going to be in Charlotte, because um, I was playing summer league that year. Wanted me to play in Jordan shoes and everything like that. You know, it's just very cool. But I tell people that story. You know, I denied Michael Jordan's call like three times before I finally <laughs> answered. Oh, that's surreal, man. So I just made a note to myself, if I ever get a call from an unknown number in Florida, it yeah. might be MJ asking me to wear his shoes. Or, or so Barry Alvarez retiring your jersey. I feel like you are right. two One for two, two on the yeah, on the call It's non-zero ID chances. Non-zero chances that it might be somebody important. <laughs> oh, I love that. Frank, thank you so much for being on. I've really enjoyed our conversation yeah. and uh, hope to have you back on Badger Bigs again sometime. Yeah, anytime. Thank you guys for having me. It's been fun.
Now I got to say a big thank you to Sarah and Frank for joining us on the show today. And thanks to all of you for listening to Badger Biggs presented by the Varsity Collective. I'm Joe Thomas. And I'm Annie Thomas. And remember to stay tuned for the next episode. And in the meantime, learn how you can get involved with the Varsity Collective and support Badger student athletes at thevarsitycollective.com. And to stay in the loop on the latest updates, make sure to subscribe to the newsletter. We'll see you next time.